What did you say, Lord? That's the title of the message. What did you say? We've been talking about following Jesus. So I put that um, little diagram there. DCF, deny, take up your cross and follow me from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And as we've been talking about following Jesus, we've just as a quick review, we said that follow, follow me, when Jesus says that, is the invitation to go where he goes, obey, uh, repent, surrender, give, whatever it is he says. You're following him. That's the invitation to join Jesus on his mission to do what he is about in the context of relationship with God, relationship with others. To accept Jesus' invitation is to go into training to be with Jesus. And so it's, a, it, it's not automatic. It's not either or. It's not black and white. It's to accept that is to follow him and to go into training to be like Jesus, to be with Jesus, to become like him and obey his orders. We said that following Jesus requires intentional time with Jesus individually. And so we've talked some about having a time with God, but also, and even more perhaps uh, as a priority, is to alongside others in Jesus' entourage. And then last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about how following Jesus is a together lifestyle, primarily together more than it is even individually. It's about together. And then last week we talked about moving, it means that we're moving from an acquaintance with Jesus to a deep friendship with Jesus through constant decision of to follow him rather than to follow our own agenda. So Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. So it's this constant turning to him. And then experiences that he takes us through in conversations. And so today I want to talk about being in constant conversation with God through as, as this path of following him and asking the questions that will help clarify our, the path that he wants us to walk and lay aside assumptions. It's been probably close to 20 years now. Uh, my best friend, Jim Scobie's mom passed away. For the first eight years of my life, we lived next door to each other. So I grew up with uh, Jim's mom, Marcy, as a second mom. And when I went into ministry, she, every time I would see her, she would say, hi, handsome. So I knew she was a great woman. <laughs> but, but, but the, <laughs> or bad eyesight, yeah, over here in the peanut gallery. The second thing that she would say is, I want you to do my funeral when I pass away. And so she passed away, and I went back to Springfield, Ohio, and I did the funeral, and it was a great celebration. Uh, Jim and his sister Elaine are like siblings to me. We're just that close. After the funeral, um, the congregation, my home congregation, had a dinner for us, and so we're I, I'm I'm sitting together with uh, uh, you know this, my siblings that showed up, and then Jim and Elaine. My parents were there, and we're all sitting around this great big table, and we're just talking about different things. My mom, or my dad is about, you know, kind of across the table from me, and, and, and in the lull of the conversation, my dad says, well, that was some of the best preaching that's come out of that pulpit in a long time. And I immediately looked at Jim, and I said, did I hear what, did I hear what? We're, we're just dumbfounded because those of you that know my history, my dad was not a complimentary person. He was a, a verbally abusive person, emotionally abusive. I, I mean, I used to beg him for compliments and he never gave it to me. And then all of a sudden, out of this man's mouth comes that. And I look, so I look at Jim, I go, what? And, and, and so somebody started to talk. I said, no, 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 wait. <laughs> dad, what did you just say? <laughs> I wanted to make sure. And it's almost like he, he had forgotten to catch himself from saying something that came into his mind. <laughs> and then he repeated it. And Jim turned to me and said, you just got an incredible blessing from your dad. And I did. But at the time, I couldn't believe what had come out of his mouth. And I think oftentimes, 
we're in the presence of God and, and or we're reading the Bible or we're in a Bible study or we're, we're listening to God, we're praying to God and we think we hear something and we, it, and we just jump to conclusions instead of stopping and turning. Jim, what did, what did he say? Dad, what did you say? And clarifying what, the, what was, is being said. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because I believe one of the devil's strategy is to get us, is to twist the words of God. Whether it's the Bible or in prayer, um, or, or as somebody else is talking, to twist them. And, and God so wants us to understand what he intends to say, that, if, that when we turn to him and we ask him the questions to clarify, to, to define, to repeat himself, he will do that because he's a loving heavenly dad and we're his children. And he wants us to know what he's saying. But oftentimes we just assume and we run off or we, we extrapolate and we don't take the time to really hear. So let's um, talk about that. In the context of the transfiguration. So open your Bible to Mark chapter 9 and we'll begin with verse 2. Mark chapter 9. And if you need a Bible, does anybody need a Bible? Okay, we need one here. Mark chapter 9. So we we live in an upside down world. And we are way more up still, no matter how long we've been following Christ, we're still way more upside down than we realize. And as a result, we don't hear what God really has to say unless he clarifies. From the time Jesus chose the 12, he deliberately intentionally walked them into experiences that sparked conversations that would lead them to have the opportunity to hear what Jesus is really all about and see who Jesus really was and understand what his kingdom was about and what he, they were, he was calling them to do. It was not a given that they would understand. In fact, it was a given that they would misunderstand as we see played out in the two and a half to three years that he was in a human body. And so he... Um, Gave them opportunity after opportunity. And he does the same with us. Our, the, our default is to superficially assume that we know what God is saying. We need to ask the questions. And so about a month before the crucifixion, in chapter 8, um, Jesus, and, and we studied this in learning community this week, so this will be familiar with is Jesus had that moment when he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, some say Elijah, some say that one of the prophets. Um, and, and he says, who do you say that I am? Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, I, yes, you're right. And on this rock, I will build my church. We talked about all of that in the learning community. And then about, and, and so that's, that's, where, that's where they've been. It's an opportunity to have a conversation with Jesus. And he asks them, and, they, and they're in this conversation. He's asking them questions. They ask him questions. And so we pick up the story then at the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 2. It says, after six days, so after about a week. So we're two to three weeks before the crucifixion. After six days... He says, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them to a high mountain by themselves. He didn't include all 12. He included these three for Jesus' reasons, whatever they were. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. In that moment, Jesus led them into an experience, took them up a high mountain and led them into an experience to see who he really was. God does that with us. In order to um, deny myself, take up my cross daily and follow Jesus, I have to give him opportunities to lead me into his presence. That's what time with God alone is about. That's what time with God together is about. That's that's why we spend time with him. 
And so Jesus is taking them into an opportunity where they could see him as he really was. He'd been talking about it for two and a half, three years, who he was. And now they, he gives them an undeniable experience to recognize he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. I mean, and if it wasn't enough just to be transformed, now he's got Moses and Elijah showing up, talking with him. Jesus is, um, he, so he's been telling them something and then he's taking them through opportunities, taking them through experiences to affirm that, to lead them, to be convinced of it. Verse five, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. If he'd have stopped there, <laughs> if he would have stopped there and asked other questions. But instead he says, let's stay here forever. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. There will be some times in your life when you are given an opportunity by God, it will terrify you. It will scare you to death. Because it's so out of the realm of possible, it's so out of the realm of the normal, it's so out of the realm of, of what we ordinarily experience. It's, it's right side up instead of upside down. And in those moments, don't let fear get the best of you. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my son. Listen to him. And so this whole experience was to give these three followers, the inner circle, an opportunity to see who he was and recognize that. Recognize that he was fulfilling the law, he was fulfilling the prophets. <coughs> Excuse me. And then to hear the very voice of the Father um, uh, putting his stamp of approval and saying, if you really want to know what the kingdom of God is about, listen to what Jesus is saying. That would be important in the coming days, actually for the rest of their lives, because of what was going to happen to them. And I think a part of what this whole experience was about was to prepare them for what they would be facing. And they needed this experience to, to kind of put the stamp, the seal, the finality on it that this is really who Jesus says he is. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, and again, it would take time. They were coming down a mountain, so it would take time. He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And again, Jesus knows what he's doing. Sometimes we don't understand. Why did he not want? They, they, we can extrapolate all kinds of things, but he didn't tell us his reasons for not doing it, for, for not telling anybody. But he had them. So they kept the matter to themselves. Finally, a time they obeyed. <laughs> as hard-headed as they were, finally. They probably, you know, they, they probably come down the mountain going, they wouldn't believe us even if we said, even if we told anybody, so why, you know, yeah, of course. So they kept the matter to themselves, questing what this rising from the dead might mean. So they got these questions in their head. And then they did what we need to do. We have these experiences with God. He shows us something. Could be in a Bible study. Could be in a conversation. Could be as we're praying. Could be as we're reading in, in the Word of God. Could be as we're, we're praising Him, singing a song. We have these experiences. We have this, this thing that happens. And we know it has meaning. And then in an upside down way, we think we're smart enough to figure it out. But here is what we need to do. They asked him. They asked him. Do you know how, how many times I think God is just waiting for us to ask? They, he wants us to just ask me. Just ask me. Ask me what this means. Ask me what the, Just ask me. Ask me. I'll tell you. You know how I know that? In the scriptures that we looked at last week, over and over again, Jesus says, ask me. In, I think it's Matthew chapter 7. Seven, he says, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Look, what was the other one? Seek, ask, seek, 
knock and keep on knocking. And I want, yeah, he's, he's pleading with us. And then and you go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I want you to ask me, I want to tell you, but I'm not going to force it on you. You need to surrender, listen, and then obey. Just ask. And so they ask him. Why do the scribes say that Elijah must first? Uh, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? So the teaching, the religious teaching, was that Elijah was, would, would precede the Messiah. Good question. It was a good, good question. And he gave Jesus the opportunity to answer them, which they would need in the days ahead. And he said to them, he didn't scold them. He didn't say, stop asking questions. I think he smiled and goes, yeah, you're asking the right questions. Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as is written of him. And then it goes on to say, oh, and then they understood. He was talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the Elijah figure that would come before the Messiah. God gives us regular experiences as opportunities to... um, ask him questions and discover more about who he is, what he does, and what he wants from us. But we have to ask the questions. Let's talk about it. How God works to reveal himself to us. And again, what what I'm hoping is this will lead us to be convinced and then to implement asking questions of God as we pray in in conversation. Number one, let God out of the box. Let God out of the box. And what I mean by that is release your expectations of who God is. And we all have them. We have them as we grow up of what we think God is. And we we put God in a box. Um, So I, I, I wonder what Peter, James, and John were thinking as Jesus comes to them and says, hey guys, let's, I want you to go with me up this mountain. We're going to leave the other nine down here to fumble themselves as we'll see next week. But we're going to go up there. And, and so what, what do you think might have been in their minds? Expectations. They had expectations of what was going to happen. Be with Jesus, pray, you know, like he does all the time. What was it going to be about? They had expectations. But none, if they had, if they had limited Jesus to those expectations and refused to believe anything else, they would have missed what Jesus was really all about. When the 12 accepted their commissions, they all had expectations of who the Messiah was. Based on what the religious teachers had taught them, what their moms and dads had told them, they had expectations of who the Messiah was. For, by and large, most of them believed that he would be a military hero. That was, that was the box that they had put the Messiah in. And that he would reign forever, and they certainly wouldn't die. So, Part of what this two and a half year training of Jesus was to bust the sides out of those boxes and to reveal who he really was. To break down the misconceptions by giving them experiences that would reveal who he was and then having conversations with them, asking them, them asking him to discover what those experiences meant. Now, less than a month before Jesus would go to the cross, he's planting seeds of understanding. In Mark chapter 8, it says he began to teach them that he would have to die. He began to teach them, and then he began to give them experiences and show them because he was trying to bust the sides out of the box that they had him in. We have to do the same thing. Think for a moment about what you were taught as a child or what you came to assume about who God was as a child. Is it the same as you understand now? Not even close. Because most of what we come to believe about God as we're growing up has to do with our parents. As it, you know, and so our fathers become, you know, we, we, we kind of frame our understanding of God about who our father is or what we're taught in Sunday school, what we watch in cartoons, you know, just all kinds of stuff. In order for God to get us to the truth, he has to take us through experiences and then explain those experiences because we are not able to figure it out on our own. I put scripture from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Until the Holy Spirit reveals. See, his idea, he wants to reveal his thoughts to us. He wants to reveal his ways to us. And so the context of this is in natural thinking, you will never think like God. You will never see like God. Don't keep God in a box. Number two, God wants and works to reveal himself. God wants and works to reveal himself. I never cease to be amazed how mind-blowing it is that the God of the universe, the God who sits on the throne of the universe, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, without beginning and end, who never changes, the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, the God who can do anything, anything, works to reach into our lives with the kindness of a loving dad. He's the one that takes the initiative. God's desire, and so I put that statement there, God's desire is to reveal himself to us. He wants to show us who he is. He wants us to hear him clearly, to reveal himself in his ways and his promises, and is constantly working to make it happen. And so on the, uh, when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the top of this mountain and, and is transfigured before him, it is because of God's desire for them to see who Jesus really is. He initiates the whole thing. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. They weren't, they, it could have, it could happen without them. But God, Jesus wanted them to experience it. As I was uh, working on reviewing this a little bit this morning, um, it came to my mind um, in the Old Testament. In fact, if you want to turn there, Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. This is um, after God has appeared to, to Moses. He uses Moses and Aaron to free the Israelites from the slavery of Egypt. And now he's taken them into the wilderness and he's called Moses up onto the mountain to be with them. And in Exodus chapter 33, beginning with verse 17, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. I know you intimately. Moses has cooperated with God. He has listened to God. He has had these experiences with God. He has talked with God, and God has explained it. And they've grown from a couple of weeks ago when we talked, or last week, we talked about he's gone from an acquaintance with God to an intimate friend with God. I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. God, I want to see you for who you really are. I've gotten to know you as this intimate friend and I delight in you, but can you show me your glory? Can you show me your manifest presence? Now, this is, so this is a human being, a, a, a piece of dust on the timeline with the almighty God. And he says, could I see your glory? And God, as a loving heavenly dad, says, I delight in you asking that. Notice what happens next. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. In other words, I, 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 will, I will show you as much of myself as I can. But as a loving heavenly dad, I'm going to protect you. Because if I showed up and you saw my face, you'd die. You'd just, you, you'd be, it'd be done. So I'm going to protect you. But I'm going to show you as much as I possibly can. Because I want you to see me, glory. I want, in this relationship, this friendship, I want you to experience me. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of that rock and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. I, when we are surrendering, listening, and obeying, when we have the desire to give ourselves to God and to know him, there's no question 
that we can ask of God that's inappropriate. In the context of this relationship, he desires to reveal himself. Now, sometimes he says, no, I can't do that. As he did with Moses, he says, I'll, I'll show you as much as I can, but there's some things I cannot do that you're asking. But as a loving heavenly dad, he desires it. He leads us to it. He wants to provide experiences so that we can know who he is and know what he does and have that intimacy and alignment with him that brings the abundant life that he provides. If you look at Jesus' ministry in the, in the four Gospels, he never scolded people who asked good, legitimate questions. He only scolded the ones that were being stupid. <laughs> I, and I mean that religiously. I mean the ones, the religious leaders that were, that they, they didn't have the motivation to know God. They didn't want to know God. They were just arguing and they were, wanted Jesus to be in a box. And so with that attitude, as you approach God as loving heavenly dad, don't, you, you can't ask things that will, that's a lie from the devil himself. That if you do, you, have you ever been somewhere and somebody says something and go, oh, I'm going to step over here because God's going to send lightning to destroy you. And I think sometimes the box that Satan tries to get us in is to say, there are questions that you better not ask or God will get you. He loves you. He desires. He is trying to create experiences so that you can know him better. God's, but God sets the timing. And he sets the types of revelation experiences. Have you ever had an experience where, where God does something and you think, why didn't he do that sooner? Well, and it could be because we, weren't, we were being disobedient. But a lot of times it's just because God knows best. God is God. Um, for centuries, people longed for Messiah to come, but he didn't. Why? Because God is God. And he sets the time and he sets the experiences. And for centuries since then, there have been people who long for Messiah to come back. And he hasn't because he's God. God is not going to be manipulated and God is not going to be unseated from his throne. And so our responsibility is to surrender, listen, and obey. We can't manipulate. We can't make things happen. God sets the timing. God sets the types of experiences. So Jesus took only three to the top of the mountain for this transfiguration experience. Why not the other nine? Because that was his plan. And Jesus this might be a uh, news bulletin, is not really concerned about hurting people's feelings. Did you? Jesus was not concerned about being politically correct. Ever. Which we could maybe take a lesson from that. He did what the Father wanted him to do because it was the right thing to do. And we have to surrender that to him. He sets the timing and the types of revelation experiences. So we have to surrender. Number three, revelation experiences. And when I say revelation, I'm talking about revealing. So experiences that reveal who God is or what he's about or, or what his kingdom is about. It reveals. Revelation experiences are preparation for serving with him. Preparation for serving with him. As I was on the treadmill this morning and I was praying and I really sensed the Spirit of God say, really emphasize this. Um, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago I was praying and, and God said, all the stuff that I'm doing in your life is not for, primarily for your comfort. It's for, to prepare you to serve me in my kingdom. So when God does something, it's not just to make us feel good. But that's a lot of the culture that we live in. This upside down culture is we want to feel good. And so when God, but when God is up, we, we will feel good, but that's secondary. That the satisfaction is secondary. It's about preparing for the battles that are coming. It's, and so this preparation, as Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain, he reveals himself to them. They were going to need this. And they would cling to this all of their lives because what they would face next. 
in learning community on, on uh, Thursday night, um, Matthew said, you know, Peter talked about this transfiguration experience in one of his letters. And, and so as I was preparing, I ran across this again. For 2 Peter chapter 1, turn in your Bible there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. This experience on the Mount of Transfiguration was to reveal so that they would have a deeper relationship with God, but it was also so that they would have in their arsenal absolute knowledge, absolute preparing. Because there was hard stuff coming. They would need to know for sure who Jesus was. They would need to be be able to think back when he was transfigured. They would need to be able to think back when the father said, this is my son, listen to him. They would need to hearken back to that moment in time to be absolutely sure because questions would come. When Jesus headed towards his death and he was arrested, they would have to hearken back. You know, I know he's, he's Messiah. And when he was put in the tomb, I, I can't deny that he was Messiah. I saw it on the, on the mountain. And then when he was in the tomb for those, for those days, and, and then when he was resurrected, okay, yeah, I know he was Messiah, but now he left. He went back to the hand, right hand of the Father. I know he was Messiah. I, got, I have to cling to the, this experience. And God will give you experiences that will anchor you for whatever it is that's coming. Because the battles are coming. Individual battles and, and cultural values, battles. You will need to be able to hark it back and say, I there's a lot of things I don't understand, but I know this. God is God, and He loves me, and I can lean on Him, and I can depend on Him. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 18 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Peter's talking to the people he's writing about the message that they have delivered. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. This is years later, decades later, when Peter writes, we know, we know. He was given, they were given an experience that, would, that Jesus explained as an anchor. I also thought about Psalm 23. If you want to flip over in your Bible there very quickly. Yeah, some of you have it memorized because it's been our memory verse. <laughs> Psalm 23. Um, so I was reflecting on this the last week or so. And one phrase jumped out to me in a profound way. Because Psalm 23 talks about how God takes care of us, right? How he is providing for us. He's watching with us. He's with us all the time. And it is of great comfort. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All that I just read feels like God's comfort. But there's a phrase I left out. Anybody catch it? For his name's sake. All of this isn't just for comfort. It is comforting. It's for battle. It's for preparation, for him to receive honor, for us to walk in step with him. Number four, in order to have these kinds of experiences that become anchors for us, God must explain the meaning of those experiences. God has to provide the meaning of those experiences. Because there's no way to make sense of experiences except through conversation with God. We're not smart enough. We live in an upside down world. And so our default is to interpret 
in an upside down way. My, my dad was a policeman. For the last uh, number of years he worked as a, in traffic and so he would investigate accidents and he would catch people speeding. And he would, he would sometimes express such great frustration because he said there could be an accident with 50 people. And I interview them and I get 50 different stories. And I can't figure out what happened. Why? It wasn't 50 different experiences, but it was experienced by 50 different people in different ways. When we have an experience, we will extrapolate. We will immediately extrapolate what we think it means <laughs> unless we ask God to show us what it means. Only the Holy Spirit within us provides understanding. Left to ourselves, we won't figure it out. It's, imp it's impossible. Look at these scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand. Not able. It's not that he even, even if he tries, if, if the Holy Spirit is not living within or not revealing, they can't get it. We can't get it. Not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3 and 4 says, and even if our gospel is veiled, even if it's blocked off by this veil, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Without the Holy Spirit opening our eyes, we cannot understand spiritual things. We cannot understand what an a God, even a God miracle means, what his purpose was. Why? Because the God of this world blinds us to keep from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. And so it's only when the Holy Spirit begins to live within can we get it. Only as the Holy Spirit reveals and we receive is their understanding. So if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're dead. You'll never understand. But if we have the Holy Spirit, but we don't open ourselves up to receiving, listening, in conversation, we still won't get it. How often Jesus made statements and asked questions of his followers, such as these. And, and, and I put the references, you can look at them later. Matthew chapter 8, 26. He said to them, why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? Here he's talking to those who are following. Why are you still so afraid? Um, in Matthew chapter 15, 16, he said, are you still also still without understanding? He's turning to the 12 and saying, don't you get it yet? Don't you get it? They couldn't get it because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet and they needed him to explain it. Matthew 20, 22, Jesus answered, you do know, not know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. This is when, when uh, 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 James, yeah, James and John came with their mother and said, can we sit on the right hand and the left hand? And Jesus goes, you don't even get it. You don't understand. Matthew 24, 42, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleads with his disciples. He says, stay awake for you do not know on what day the Lord is, or no, this was from a parable. You do not know what the, the, the day of the Lord is coming. Stay awake. You do not know. And then in, in Matthew 26, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to the disciples, he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so, so you could not stay awake with me for an hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The only way to avoid temptation is to, to pray, to lean into it, because you don't understand what's happening. God is speak. God wants to speak. God wants to speak. And so the necessary Christ-following habit is this. So highlight this, circle it, put stars by it. You've heard me say it in learning community and different other ways, but here. Here's the habit. Ask the next questions. Ask the next question. Ask the second, third, fourth questions. The New Testament tells us Jesus is coming again. They even asked Jesus, when are you coming back? He says, I, that's not for you to know. In fact, even the Father is the only one that knows. And yet, every once in a while, don't you hear in the news, somebody says, Jesus is coming back on September 23rd. Sell everything you got. Come with me to the mountaintop and we'll meet him there. 
and people do it. In fact, even some Christian people go, hmm, I wonder if they know something. I don't know. But if you ask the second, third, and fourth question, you go, okay, what does the Bible say about that? You go to the scripture, and you know. If they would just humbly stop to ask the questions of the Bible and the Spirit, they would not be led astray. And so we scoff at people like that and go, well, how can they be so stupid? We often do the same thing. If we're not asking questions, if God reveals something to us, or if we read something in the Bible and we assume that we know, we'll make the same kind of, same kind of mistakes. And so when we're reading it, and so, um, so when my parents told me when I turned 16 that I could get my driver's permit. Here's what I heard. On your birthday, you can go to the DMV and take the test to get your permit. That's what I heard. And so on my birthday, I said to my dad, okay, can we go down the DMV? What are you talking about? I said, uh, you said when I turned 16. Yeah, but you got 365 days that you're going to be 16. <laughs> what he said was, after you turn 16, what he meant was sometime after that, you'll be able to get your driver's permit. If I had asked the second question, okay, when and nailed him down to it, I could have had the answer. But I didn't because I made the assumption. No, we don't do that with God, do we? <laughs> yes, we do. So my challenge to us is to, when you're reading the Bible, don't just assume you know what it means. It's to ask the Holy Spirit, God, what does this mean? And sometimes he'll, he'll bring another scripture to mind. He'll send you to a commentary. And, or, or he'll bring it up in a discussion, and, and somebody else will have insight into that. Lord, what does it mean? So out of the Ignite group comes this, this principle of asking the next question, asking the second, third, fourth questions. Um, and, and so if you go back to that Mark scripture again, Mark chapter 9, here's, what, here's why they came down from that mountain with it making sense. If we go Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 9, and they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to himself, asking questions. What this rising of the dead might mean, Jesus explains more later. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And Jesus answered them, Elijah must come. And so instead of just assuming, they asked the question and they got the answer. Do you suppose that God might want to do that for us? Absolutely, he does. Ask, seek, knock, and keep doing it. Now, here's a very practical way to begin to practice this. I've been, um, you know, we chose this last fall, and every week that I read this, I am more convinced that God has brought it to us. Because it, the, the, the whole format leads to what we're talking about. It's, there's only one thing I don't like. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so on Friday, he gives a scripture from Mark chapter 4, 23. It says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Carefully what you hear. And then Dallas Willard's uh, words are, people who don't hear God insist that he doesn't speak to them, but perhaps their hearing is not in tune. Radio and television messages pass through our bodies and brains all day. But we aren't appropriately tuned receivers so that we can pluck them from the air. In the same way, we are showered with God's messages. But they go past us because we are not attuned to God's voice. Some of Jesus' deepest teachings are about hearing. And then he goes on to talk about that. And so here's the picture. He says, God is talking, but if unless we have the receiver up, then we don't hear it. 
How do we get the receiver? Surrender, listen, obey. Knees and nudges. All the stuff that we've been talking about. Listening, listening, listening. And then at the bottom of each entry, he has a reflection or pray kind of section in italics. And if you look through, through mine, in that section, I, I, I keep putting, ask God, exclamation point, ask God, instead of, because here's what he says, reflect, consider to what measure you are willing to hear God. What sorts of things would a person do who was immeasurably willing to hear God? And I, and I want to shout at him, except that he's dead. So I can't. I would send him an email if I could. going, change that. Instead of saying reflect, because when you say reflect on this, you're giving us way too much credit. We're not that smart. Instead, if we, if, if we say, use that section to ask God. Instead of reflect, ask God, Lord, to what measure am I really willing to hear you? And then listen. And then if he says something to you, ask the next question. Okay, God, how do I change that? When do I change that? What tools, what people do you want me to be around? That's the second, third, and fourth questions. What sorts of things would a person do who was immeasurably willing to hear God? Well, I might have some answers, but God's got better ones, right? What would his or her life look like? How different would it be? I love those questions, but change it to ask God. Ask him. And that's the kind of conversation that I'm talking about. As you're going through your day, what is it that God is saying? What does he want you to do about it? But then when, don't extrapolate that I know. I want you to love your neighbor better. And then I'm, my immediate response is, oh, I know how to do that. I'll do this, this, and this. Maybe, maybe not. Instead of running out of God's presence after you hear him say that, pause and say, okay, God, what does that look like with that neighbor? Because with the neighbor on the right, it might be very, something very different from the... That's the left. That's your right. <laughs> on this side, it could be different than the neighbor on this side and the neighbor across the street. Ask, and he, and he will bring thoughts to your mind. He will bring thoughts to your heart. So as I was getting on the treadmill this morning, so here's a little secret in my life, is um, I try to pray through the, for all of you each week. If you're in the directory, I pray for if you... If we've got your name, I put in the directory. And I try to pray for you at least once a week. And usually it's when I'm on the treadmill. Kill two birds with one stone. I mean, not, you're not a bird to kill, but you know what I'm talking about. I pay attention better, too, <laughs> when I'm moving. And so I get on the treadmill, and I've got the directory, and I'm about to open it, and I'm talking to God a little bit. And he says, just put that down. I'm going, but God, I need to pray for these. He says, I got it. I got them. Just set that down and... Here, I want to talk to you. And so I said, well, what do you want to talk about? He said, and, um, and, and, and here's what came to my heart and soul. You need to know that I delight in you. God, I don't see how you can. This is my conversation. I don't see how, how can you delight in me? I feel like I disappoint you. I feel like, I, he goes, oh, you're not a disappointment any more than your grandchildren are a disappointment to you. That's a conversation that will motivate you, that will draw you close to him. If I don't ask the next question, what do you mean you delight in me? I don't get the picture. Be in conversation with him. Be in conversation with him. And so my challenge is, as you're reading the Bible this week, Ask God what he means. And, and we've been using those three questions. What stuck out? Why did it stick out? And what do you need to do with it? As you're reading this, use the questions at the bottom of the page as prayers instead of reflections. And then I want you to write it down somewhere, whether it's in your own journal or a pad of paper or something or, or you know, along the margins of, of the, the book. Write it down and capture it. Because just like Peter would reflect Decades later, about that transfiguration time, when God says, I delight in you, as, I, as, as you do with your grandchildren, I, there are times where I need to see that again, and I'll forget that. The devil will try to take it away. We need to hear those things. So that's your assignment. Ask questions of the Bible, ask questions of the de devotional, and then 
Write it down for yourself. Would you bow your heads? God so wants to have intimacy with you. He created you for that. He also created you to be a warrior for him. To be on mission with him. Not because of who you are, but because of who you will be as you allow his spirit to come in, transform you, equip you. Is there anything you need to surrender that's getting in the way? Anything, Lord, I just pray that you would bring to mind anything that's getting in the way. And if he does, let it go. Give it to him. Say, Lord, I, I surrender to you. I don't want that to be a hindrance anymore. And then ask him the next question. Lord, how do you want me to surrender it more? And listen. And when he speaks, there might be more questions. Because he delights in you. Lord, thank you for being the loving Heavenly Father that you are. I pray that you would draw us closer into you, you into relationship with you, that we could experience this deep, abundant life together. Unite us in you and make us your salt, your light on mission for you. Lead us throughout this week Remind us to be in conversation with you, to listen carefully, to surrender, to obey. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.